Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Business. As always, we have Rocco Coase joining me today. Rocco, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mike. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to dive into this. So why don't you tell people what it is that you do? So if someone was to meet you in a bar and go, hey Rocco, what, what do you do? How do you spend your time? How would you answer that? <laughs> That's a, that's a great question. What I always tell people is I happen to be an entrepreneur that practices law for a living. So I'm a lawyer by trade, actually a business lawyer. But uh, along the way, I've started, owned, and operated you know, 10 to 12 other businesses. I'm also an author. I've, I'm a speaker. I've done a TEDx talk and a bunch of other large speaking engagements. And I help people as a business coach really develop themselves as an entrepreneur or really expand and grow their businesses. So I kind of do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the main, my main, my main focus is my law practice with all these other pieces just I've put together along the way. So was, was law something you were, were always into from, from when you were younger or did you sort of fall into it? What was that journey like? Yeah, that's interesting. So when I was a kid, I was really into entrepreneurship. You know, I was a kid that, you know, sold lemonade, sold baseball cards. I was always into business. I also liked to argue and debate people. So when I was going, you know, growing up through middle school and high school, I decided, huh, I think I want to be a lawyer. And I went to college. I went to one of the, the best pre-law schools here in the United States uh, to getting people into law school. But when I was in undergrad, I majored in psychology. And at the time, I was debating between law school or getting a PhD in psychology. Into my senior year, I let fate decide. I took the GREs instead of the LSATs and said, okay, if I get into grad school for psychology, I'm meant to be a psychologist. If I don't, I'm meant to be a lawyer. Well, I got waitlisted, took a year off, took the LSATs, went to law school, and the rest is history. And it was you know, I think it was my path that I was supposed to be on because I always looked at being a lawyer as a means to an end. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be just a lawyer. Yeah. It always gave me something to fall back on. It always gave me a leg up in business, but I didn't want to be known as a 70-year-old partner in a large law firm. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't my path. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like you, you sort of dove into one direction knowing that if you got in, you got in. If not, then you had something to fall back on. Is this something that has maybe happened before whereby you've committed to one direction knowing full well that you, you could go down the other direction had that one not come off? Yeah, I've, I've kind of always lived my life that way, honestly. I, I, I've never done just one thing. So I've always liked to diversify my skill sets, my income, my businesses, because I tend to go really hard and fast down a path until I figure out it's not the right path, path, excuse me, then I change course very quickly. And I've always been able to really be self-aware to know before I get too far down a path in a business, in a profession, in just anything, where I'm able to course correct very quick. What's the difference then between course correcting and just like pivoting as soon as things get hard? Like how do you sort of balance that out between I'm going to keep going because this is something I really want to do versus hang on maybe maybe it isn't something I want to do and maybe sure. it should probably change no that's a great question it's it's I think one you have to understand that no matter what path you take it's always going to be hard so coming up against resistance should not make anyone course correct you course correct and you realize you don't either have a passion for it 
you don't understand it well enough, nor have the interest to understand it well enough, or it just doesn't make sense anymore. And you kind of get that internal gut feeling that this just doesn't make sense. Difficulty or, or when something's hard, that should never be the indicator to course correct because anything you know worth doing in life is going to be difficult. You've got to be able to look at those other things and say, okay, I'm not passionate about it. I don't get it or it just doesn't feel right. That's when I would course correct a different direction. Would the, the fact that it is hard or at least it feels hard, like you can, you can do a lot of stuff, but it still doesn't feel hard. So how, how could being like something feeling hard be a sign that maybe you're not passionate about it? Because the amount of people that, that I know and I've interviewed a bit like yourself, they go, well, mm-hmm. I, I, I do a ton of stuff, but it still doesn't feel hard with someone that might only work for say four to five hours a day and go this is tough I can't I can't do this so does it is hard ever a sign that the passion's not there or the energy is not there about the idea so maybe that's like a, <clears throat> a telltale sign perhaps that you should change well so I, I you know I, I I don't know that I agree with that because I look at it you know passion and difficulty I don't necessarily think they go hand in hand I think that if you're not passionate about something, it'll always seem difficult. Yeah. However, if something is hard, that doesn't mean you're not passionate about it. And when I say, I, I, I use the term hard and difficult as two different things. Hard doesn't mean it just takes work. It's either resistance, it takes work. It's not difficult or complex. It's just a lot of work, a lot of things you have to do. Difficult is I can't figure this out. I don't get it. I don't have the passion or the fortitude to push forward to try and get it. When things get difficult, that may be a sign that there isn't a passion enough to figure it out. Right. So it's almost like if you're prepared to find a way or create a way of doing right. it, then that's okay if you're prepared to put the, you know, the effort in, so to speak. But if things are just difficult just because you've got a lot to do, then you've just got a lot to do. And then that's right. kind of like the, the barrier of entry, if you will, for doing whatever it is that you're doing. Like someone like yourself who's a speaker and you have your own show and you do this, that, and the other thing. You have a lot of stuff to do, so it's hard, yeah. right? It can yeah, be exactly. hard at times to do a lot of stuff, but it's not, it's not like outside of your remit of I will figure it out. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, it's you know, everything's going to be hard. There's always going to be stuff to do. If you're an entrepreneur, it's not easy. I, I tell my clients this all the time. If you, you know, if you go down the road of entrepreneurship thinking it's going to be easy and you're going to be living that lifestyle on the beach without having to go through difficult or hard stuff, you're clueless because it takes time. It takes work. I mean, to, you know, to get where I am took 20 years. Yeah. You know, it's not an easy thing. 20 years of doing a lot of stuff yeah. doesn't make it difficult it doesn't make it under your kind of figure outableness if you will yeah. trying to figure out a way of doing it yeah it's just it's just a lot of stuff you had to do it's just a lot of stuff that's happening in the background when no one's watching when the the kids are in bed when you know my friends are out partying i'm there just doing the work and when you do that over time that's how you become successful but a lot of people aren't willing to give up those things to do the thing they need to do. 
So what, what would you say to someone then that is maybe getting this mixed up, maybe getting this idea of, I'm doing a lot. Does that mean that I've lost passion for it? Does that mean that I shouldn't do this anymore because it feels, it feels hard? And, and then we're here talking about, no, it's just you're doing a lot of stuff and, that, and, and that's okay. Like it's when, when it starts to go down the road of, I don't really want to do this anymore, not just because it's hard, but because you don't, want to do it anymore and that's that's a little bit different but how would you how would you have this conversation with someone that's listening that might be thinking well I don't know how to really pass the two well the the first thing I always do and I've had and I have this discussion with clients the first thing I say is what are you actually doing because a lot of times people you know tend to think they're losing that passion but when you break down what they're doing they're actually not doing anything that matters so they're not even really doing what they need to do to figure it out. So of course they're going to lose that passion because they feel like they're clueless or helpless because they're just doing a lot of stuff that has no long-term benefit in the end, or it's, it's busy, not productive. It's those types of tasks. You know, you got to, I, I always say, you know, with a business, I have, I have one client that, you know, had this problem. They just were just like, I, I just, I'm, I want to give up because I'm doing all this stuff but nothing's working. So maybe he's not passionate about this. When I really broke it down with this person, all the stuff they were doing didn't matter because the one thing they needed to do was to connect with clients and sell and, and be that front facing person to really pull the customers in they weren't doing. And that was the thing they were passionate about, but they thought they had to do all this other stuff, these Facebook ads, this marketing, all these other things they were spending all their time doing And then they started feeling this discontent or this disconnect with what they were actually supposed to be doing. Once we broke it down and pulled back, you know, pulled back the curtain, we figured it out. And then they re-engaged with the stuff they should be doing that was still hard. And that passion came back. So a lot of times it's people figuring out if they're doing the right things. Is it a case of being self-aware then to find out what those right things are? Oh, absolutely. Self-aware. Then I also believe, and this is why I believe in the coaching process. You know, I'm a coach, but I work with a coach because sometimes we can't see what we can't see. It takes a third party to look at us from the outside or look at what we're doing from the outside to identify those things. That's why I've worked with a coach for years. That's why I coach people. It's an important part of the process. Every professional athlete has a coach because you can't see the whole field. You need someone else to take that step back and say, okay, here's some things I see that you're not doing or should be doing. But yeah, you do have to have that self-awareness, but it's, it's also you need that higher level viewpoint from someone else. So when do you, do you ever stop to, I don't know, I guess be more self-aware? Do you have practices that are designed for this or is it something that you sort of go off like a moment by moment, feeling by feeling basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I myself, I think, have built so much intuition, self awareness over the years <laughs> with the with the mistakes I've made and the failures I've had. You know, when you fail a lot, like I have, and make a lot of mistakes, you become very self aware of when you're kind of going off path. And I think that's why I think failure is so important, and making mistakes is so important, and people look at them you know, as a negative, but I, but I always tell people, you know, that's part of the process. That's how you build that self-awareness. You know, the more times I fail, the easier it is for me to look at a situation and know if I'm on the right path or not. 
because I take all those experiences from the past and it helps me build that self-awareness. Do you ever find that it is in failures? Because you've mentioned a lot in terms of like direction shifts and course corrections mm -hmm. because of, you know, it feels at least to me that you actually guide yourself through the failures because it's like you, you know that something then needs to change or like yeah. you, you don't go that way. It's almost like you only really find out what you want to do by tasting enough and realizing what you don't actually want to do. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way of putting it. I think, I think that's a lot of people's problem. They don't try enough. They don't fail enough. They're so afraid of failure that they never push themselves to what they could become. They get very comfortable in their box and they say, okay, I've done this. It's good enough. And they never push themselves outside that box or try the things they really want to try because of the fear of failure. But the more you fail, the more success you achieve in life. That's my firm belief. I quite like the way you, you mentioned that. Like the, the more you fail, the more success you'll have. It's because I think, like, I mean, you, you, get, you get this a lot. And the more conversations I'm having, it's like people mm -hmm. won't change anything if they don't know what it is that they should be changing. And if they never sure. really fail, they never find out what that is. Like there's, no, exactly. there's no element of, okay, well, I'll do something different. And sometimes the, the box can be created because we don't do anything different. And yeah. It, I mean, it's weird. It's weird when you have the conversation with people because you actually watch their head move and yeah. start, to, start to actually change and pulsate mid-conversation sometimes. It's like, look, like if you, if you never change, then the box is either self-created or it's been given to you that you've molded in. One of the funny things I saw the other day was um, a horse that's got a rope attached to like a plastic chair, right? And mm -hmm. it, it was like, well he's been attached to that chair since he couldn't move it. Yep. And now he's a massive horse. He still thinks he can't move it because he's never been able to move it. Cause at the time he was too small to move it where now he's not, but he still thinks he can't. So how important do you feel this idea of being conditioned to learn or learn about ourselves or our situation or learn that we are, capable of achieving something of pushing that box how important do you think that that side of conditioning is well i mean you know when you say conditioning i mean i think we all have to understand that there's so much more that's possible right you know kind of i want to go back to the point of the, the, the success and failure dichotomy so i, I look at that is in in the way i like to explain it to people is when you look at life, right, there's light and dark, there's good and bad. I always say success and failure is like the yin and yang. The more failure you have, the bigger the success is. But people have to be able to, to learn and understand that. And, and part of that, like you said, that conditioning is, and I think sometimes people are, are conditioned poorly or they stop learning when they're done with school. You know, life is a process of growth, right? I mean, it's you're you're growing or dying. You never stay the same in life. That's that's something that I've learned over the years, and I think the more you grow as a person, the more you learn, the more you expand your horizons, get out of your comfort zone, the more things you can achieve in life. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. That's part of the process. But you've got to condition yourself differently. I guess I would put it to understand that that those roadblocks those failures those mistakes you have to have them if you want the greater life too many people are afraid to have them 
Yeah, I feel like it, it is the experiences that, that do change, isn't it? Whether they're good experiences or bad, but um, particularly after talking mm-hmm. to yourself today, is it tends to be the, it's, it's the negative ones that give us a bigger reason to do things differently. Yeah. And the I feel like it's almost like it almost confirms things if we have good experiences. So it kind yeah. of so so if 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 you have a, if I have a very very good day, yeah. right? You have a good day, yeah, awesome. Get up, do it again. But if you have a bad day, let's say you got caught up in traffic or whatever, you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, next time, right? Tomorrow, I will do something different. I'll leave earlier. And I'll yep. you know, maybe not drive so aggressive, so I won't get caught up. Or you know, whatever it happens to be, right? You, you sort of pick the, the strategy there. But like, exactly. if you if, it's almost like if people have a a good day like it they just kind of waddle into the next day and they don't think they need to really need to do anything different and then when you say oh well you actually achieve more if you fail mm-hmm. do you ever feel like there's a bit of a, a miseducation around failure then that like absolutely you need to start encouraging people to fail more even if it's a small thing at first and then you start to build to the bigger things. I mean, that's, that, that, that's how I sort of look at it. What, what are your take on it? I, I, I completely agree. And I, th- I think the best way to describe it is, is like working out, right? When, you, when you're lifting weights, the whole way to grow a muscle is to break it down and, and push it to failure. You know, that's how you, you tear those muscle tissues and they rebuild stronger. Yeah. Same thing with, with, with what you're talking about. You know, if everything's okay and easy, I just live an okay and easy, mediocre life. It's when I have those challenges, those failures, those, those screw ups. It's like, okay, I just tore things down. Now I have to rebuild them stronger. I look at, I, I can go back from the beginning of my career with real estate investing, business investing, everything I've done, all the mistakes I've made have built me to where I am today. I've learned from them. I've grown from them. I, I see things differently. I do things differently. If I wouldn't have made those mistakes, I'd probably be 20 steps behind where I am right now in life. But you're right. We miseducate people. Do you think, think that's, do you think that's something to do with like how things like when, when people think about education, think about mm-hmm. schools, right. And colleges yeah. and all, all that sort of thing. Would you say that that, that tends to be where it all starts? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree. And I believe even sometimes parenting, like I, I, I will say this, I feel very lucky because I was parented a way that I think helped lead me to the success I had. You know, my mother, for, you know, single mom raised me. It was until she married my, my stepfather, but she always said to me, I don't care what you do in life. As long as you always give it your best, no matter how many times you fell and you be the best. She's like, if you want to be a garbage man, a landscaper, a lawyer, a doctor, she's like, you give 100% to that profession, no matter how many mistakes you make or times you fail, and you become the best at it. And so that gave me the permission to fail. Yeah. It, like it wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, and I, and I remember even, you know, I was a good, you know, straight A student, you know, tested, you know, high IQ when I was young. I remember my sophomore year of high school, I brought home a C my first C of my entire life in honors biology. And my mother didn't get mad at me. What she said to me, she's like, well, if that's the best you can do and you're a C student, then I'll accept that. Will you accept that? Mm. And, and that simple statement made me realize, holy crap, like, no, that's not who I am. 
you know, it was okay for me to have that moment of failure. Yeah. She wasn't mad about it. And she used that moment to challenge me to say to me, if that's the best you are, then I'll accept that. But ask yourself that question. I think it's crazy how, how rare that is. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, that's what I do with my kids now. Like I, you know, I always, you know, I'm encouraging them, try, make mistakes. That's how you get better. I'm never going to be mad at them if they take a risk and fail. I'll be mad at them if they never live to their full potential. I think, I mean, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have because like, are we not allowed to be unhappy about the way that we do things or are other people not allowed? I guess it's a difficult conversation to have because we all have our own like reactions to things. If, if you do your best and you're a C, well, you want to try and disconnect the effort from the result in that case because right. if, if the best that you do is a C, you'll always think that you're a failure, even though C is probably good enough or whatever it is that you really want to do with that thing. So sometimes you've got to, I mean, this is just me talking out loud. I've got my own gripes about the education system, but I I feel like as long as you do what you do and you do it as best as you can, then what other people think of it doesn't really matter. But having said that, like the whole system is built around that thing and then when I have conversations with people and say look you're allowed to just as long as you're happy with your results and you're happy with whatever it is that you're doing so am I and I get funny looks right Rocco I get crazy yeah. looks they go what you mean like you're happy if I if I don't do anything yeah they like, well you, you want to find something that you actually want to do then because right. if, if, if you're asking that question of so it doesn't matter if I don't do this thing mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't be doing this thing you probably pick something that you're actually a bit passionate about being good at it because mm-hmm. you'll you'll do more then because it's almost like if you fulfill your own expectations then you'll automatically fulfill theirs if it's the right thing no exactly and and to go to going back to that you know, statement my mom about about the sea like i it i knew that was i didn't give my best like if i if that was all if i left everything on the field and gave 100% and that's what I got, then you're right. The, 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 result, is, or the result is disconnected from the actions. You know, yeah. I did the best. I, the result is, is what it is. I knew in that moment I didn't. That's not who I was. I didn't put in the effort I could have. And that was the last C I ever got. Yeah, I think there's, there's got to be this. It's, it's strange because the amount of people that, again, I do it all the time. Like I'm, I'm pretty big on do the best that you can and as long as you're happy about it then I'm happy about it and pe- some people don't even want to hear that so some people don't want to have that conversation they want me to give them the standard they want me to give them like the the field to play in so to speak and so well no because you, you could be in a completely different realm you, you could you could need a bigger box than what I put you in so but when you think about it that way, like people need to be self-aware as we sort of go back to what we were saying before, because this is what sort of creates the expectation, doesn't it? Like if, if you're, if you know that you're built to, to be an entrepreneur and you know that you're built to do these things and you're built to work hard, i.e. do a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. without it being like dispassionate or whatever it is, you're more likely to actually be good at that thing as well. Because if we do a lot, 
of something that you're passionate about, i.e. you'll yeah. be spending more time on the thing, you'll probably be a bit more picky with how it looks, you'll probably, you know, do a bit of, like, behind the scenes. I mean, yeah. I always use the um, the analogy of when I used to play uh, basketball for my mm-hmm. university, which is college in the, in, in the U.S., for those of you that are listening in the U.S., is, like, I, I used to get my, my kit ready for, like, a, a 6 a.m. run, Mm-hmm. the night before i'd make sure i get enough sleep because the, the university was about an hour away so we'd have to get up early enough to get there for six o'clock run and i'd have to be ready otherwise I'd, I'd never get out the door early enough to drive there to do the run to then drive back or stay for like classes or seminars or whatever it was and yep. then i would train and then i'd do basketball training that evening and then i'd come back and it's like some sometimes it's the level of excitement and the things that you do behind the scenes that's like the telltale sign that you yeah. should probably be doing the thing. Like if, if all you want to do is sit there and you know write the blog and that's it, then mm-hmm. okay. But if you want to write the blog, do the pictures, take the pictures, go out and you know maybe do some research, maybe get make sure they're good pictures, like promote it, tell people about it because you're excited about it you're probably going to be better at it. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's, that's why I always say it, it's what you do when no one's watching is what matters and what tells you everything. I like that. You know, it's because it's the truth. I mean, it's, you know, entrepreneurship is a lonely game. I mean, it's very lonely and it's 90% of what you do is in the background. And if, if you're not doing that, then you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You shouldn't be pursuing that. You know, I look at, you know, people think like my friends, a lot of my friends work in corporate America they look at me as, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I get to do what I want. I travel, I, I live my life. So they think I have this glamorous life, right? Because I, I don't have a boss. I can just go and be and work from coffee shops. I'm like, yeah, but you guys don't see the 16 hours I'm putting in on a Saturday and Sunday, creating content, researching things. You don't see all the behind the scenes stuff that is leading me to that. And that's, I think, that the big thing, the big problem people have is they, they expect this one thing, this lifestyle, but they're not willing to do what it takes in the background. Therefore, they shouldn't be doing it. And you're right. That's when you know it's a passion or when you should be doing it, when you're willing to do the crap you need to do, when no one is looking, when it's not glamorous, when you get zero recognition for it. That's when it matters. And that's the true telltale sign. I feel like just from hearing everything that you're saying and me sort of bouncing off what, what you're saying is mm-hmm. this is like the same destination, I guess, but you're coming at it from two different sides. Yeah. There's the coming at it from like the, the pure sort of, you know, the, the outside almost. You're coming at it from the outside in and mm-hmm. then you've got it from the inside out. Like you you yeah. either want to be... It's a form of motivation, isn't it? Are you motivated by like the internal stuff, like what you're passionate about, what, what yes. you enjoy, what you're prepared to spend a lot of time on? Or are you motivated by, you know, the standards that other people have set, the, the, the accolades or the awards or the, the stuff, right? And yeah. I, I feel like ideally you want a bit of both because exactly right. if, if you don't get anything external, then it's almost like you don't have a lot to feed the internal with. Like enjoyment very rarely lasts forever. You know, like- 100% agree. I, and too many people, I think, they, they, they feed you this BS. Well, it shouldn't be about external things. Look, everybody, it's human nature to want the recognition of others. 
into one that external motivation and and the internal and you're right when when you don't get the external it's hard to keep the internal fire burning you know the internal fire you know that that's important but i think the external does feed it you know i like nice things i like to be able to do these external things and have this external recognition that drives the internal but i think too many people lie to themselves saying i'm not doing it for anybody else that's bs we're, we're all doing it on some level for the external motivations. Yeah, I think it's more about, you know, do you feel good about what you're motivated by as well? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, like, if, like for instance, I, I, I am quite motivated externally. Mm-hmm. That's only because like, I'm, I started off so fired up internally that it needs a lot to keep the fire going, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Kind of like when, when you think about it that way, as long as you are happy with what motivates you, it doesn't really matter what it is. But exactly there are people right. there that are like, oh, well, if you want the car and you shouldn't be an entrepreneur, it's like, well, what if that's the only thing they really spend their money on? Like, what if right. that's, well, what, what, what if they're like, they're their thing, right, is cars? Yep. Who, who are we to, to judge that they like cars? It's the same with people exactly. that like, 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 going on holidays like i as as you know i live somewhere where a lot of people would probably come on holiday and it's well that means that my holidays have to be different right like i can't go on a holiday for a beach because i'm about 20 minute walk from one right and it's that it changes your change when you've got stuff it changes your motivation straight away yeah absolutely it's it's funny because I realized this recently. So as of recording this, things will be very different by the time this goes out. So just be wary if you're listening. Yeah. Is is like when when you think about it, mm-hmm. it's the external stuff that actually keeps the internal stuff going, as we said. And recently I've realized that I've been getting a bit of a a shortage of external, right? Okay. So to put it another way, when I moved, I moved on my own. So mm-hmm. I lost the kind of support network, if you will, from friends and family. There was no kind of, oh, you'll be all right, keep going, or how's Mike doing, and all those things. There was not a mm-hmm. lot of, of that side of things going on. And having said that, I also used to get, you know, I used to be a, a lot of contributions to magazines. And a few years ago, I, I won an, an award as, as a business owner, right? So mm-hmm. I, got, I got recognition for that. And it's been about what three years now, maybe a bit further. And I've, I've had about a full year where I've had nothing. So then yeah. it was like oh, over time, started off fine, you know, keep going, it's fine, just keep, keep holding through, keep achieving the things that you want, and, and keep going. And you enjoy it, so right. So it's almost like we get fed this lie of you enjoy it, so you should be able to keep going on enjoyment and fulfillment alone and i think that's a difficult story to keep playing i know because i played it, it for a couple of years so it, it's something that you you can do mm-hmm. in the medium term this is this is a thing where people tend to miss out like short term piece of cake yep medium term you do all right but people yep. miss out the medium term stuff people tend to miss out this like, okay well if you fail in the short term you might win in the long term yeah but what about this magical thing in the middle called the medium term like how how do you actually sustain exactly. yourself whether it's through failure because we've got a big theme on failure at the moment and you know you've got to sustain yourself like because then when people think long term people think like when they finish like that that's that that's like long term for them so right. like like that's that's not long term that that's like 
finished you shouldn't, yeah. you shouldn't base your you shouldn't base your your goals and your your life your level of fulfillment or success or whatever it is mm-hmm. based on when you finished right because you need something to tick some of your boxes on the way there whether that is you know if you can afford your dream car then that yeah. should be something that you want to get because that's something that's motivating you and showing you a sign that yeah. you are actually on the right path. And it's a difficult one because the path can be yours or it can be somebody else's. But what, what, what are your thoughts on that? And is there a way of knowing whether the path is really yours or whether it's somebody else's? Well, so, so I, I agree with you on the X, like the internal motivation gets you so far. You know, what I would say is, ask a person to write their 10 goals down their 10 life goals or 10 yearly goals and see how many of those goals are internal. And that'll tell you a big part of the picture, right? If, you know, very rarely do you see people, I want to feel happy. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel passionate. It's, I want a car. I want a house. I want a million dollars in the bank. There's these external goals. So they do play a large part in success and motivation. And when people say that it should all come from internal, I think that's a, just, just a crock of crap. I mean, for the lack of a better term, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you can have, like you said, you can have that internal motivation drive you for a short period of time. But if you're not pushing yourself towards something external, it's very hard. And I think, you know, everybody's path is different. You're right, 100%. And it's, I don't know that it's, there's a way to tell somebody how to identify that path other than, understanding you have to understand yourself know what you want in life like i know like i know myself right i have internal motivators and i have external motivators i i look at where i came from against where i am right now and i'm extremely happy with that but i'm not happy enough like i want more like this is a checkpoint for me in life you know, I want to be more fulfilled. I want to be more passionate. I want to have better things, nicer things, more travels, more money. So it's, I always look at the spots in my life as checkpoints on the internal and the external. I think each person just has to understand what drives them. You know, it's hard. What drives you and what drives me are two different things. And I think it's, I couldn't tell you how to make sure your path is right. And you couldn't tell me, right? I mean, it's, it's really it's an individualistic thing. It's just, we have to take that time and kind of dissect what really drives us. You know, I, what has driven me my entire life is I came from very humble beginnings, you know, low middle-class family didn't, you know, went on, I think one or two vacations in my entire childhood, you know, from the time I was born till I was 18 years old, like two vacations that were actually like, I would consider vacations like a week. I knew I wanted a different life. I wanted to travel when I wanted, provide that for my kids, drive a nice car, live in a big house. I also wanted to feel passionate and, and, and intense about what I was doing. So it was a combination of internal and external motivations, but I had to figure that out for myself. No one told me how to do that. I just figured it out, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, do you ever feel like we need to have more of this, like allowing people to find their own way? Like it's easier yeah. if you do it when you're younger, but then it's almost like we're, we're given a lot of the information from people that, I mean, you know, for want of a better expression, they have a vested interest in you going their way. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's a problem. 
you know, people should be able to find their own path, you know, because you're right there, you know, people do have certain vested interests in, in where people go. And I, and I think too, we need to give people permission to live how they want. I think, I think the problem we have today is society, you know, makes people feel certain ways, right? Like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't want a Lamborghini. Like, that's ridiculous. Why would you need that? You know, people say these things, and then it gets in people's head, then it holds people back. I think especially, you know, when you, when you come from certain types of families or certain types of socioeconomic statuses, people have those stigmas or, or those societal norms or rules they follow. Well, I don't need all of that. No one needs a Lamborghini. No one needs a 10,000 square foot house, but guess what? I want one and it's going to be awesome when I get one and no one's going to tell me otherwise. But again, I had to give myself permission to do that, to think that way. And that's where I think a lot of people have that problem. They have, they get in these circles of people that, that don't give them permission to think that way. So they get stuck in that level and they never move from that level. Do you ever find that, I mean, this, this sort of talks to as we age, right? Yeah. So, like, as we get older, we, we see what's out there, we see what's possible, and we become less and less tied to our past, right? Instead of a bit of a yeah. funny joke, it's the midlife crisis, right? Like, we get to a point yeah. where we yeah. think, I'm going to do what I want. I'm at a certain age now. This is it. I am yeah. just going to buy the sports car. And, and like, you know, very cliche, Rocco, to be fair. But no, I've done it, though. I've done it, so I get it. <laughs> Oh, funny. This might be mine. This, this, this moves to the country might just be mine. Yeah. Um, so when, when you think about all these kind of things is, do you feel like when we become more adult, become more independent because we're allowed to make our own choices? And we think that that plays into the part of why people become more successful as they get older because they actually become more successful for them? versus oh, somebody yeah. else and there's a whole there's a whole heap of like letting go of the past and then letting go of the societal norms as you get older because you're more independent and you realize that you can live how you want to live yep. and the world keeps spinning but when you're younger you don't really realize that so is there a way that you can i mean this is completely off track to be fair but yeah. is, is it a way that you could like help people out help people kind of say look you can live how you want to live younger and still feel like you're not in the way or feel yeah. like you're, you know, doing something that's too different from everybody else. Like what, what would your advice be? I, I think it's very simple. And I, and I tell people this all the time and I wish I would have learned this earlier, you know, in, in my probably 34 to 36, like my mid thirties, I just stopped caring what other people thought. And, <laughs> and that's really what it, it's as simple as that. Cause no one really gives a shit about what you're doing. Like no one really cares that much about you, but we get so, we're so egocentric as people, we get caught up in the, well, what are people going to judge me? What are they going to think? Who cares? Do what you want. I wish I can go back and tell my 25 year old self that simple statement. What all these people think doesn't matter because they're not really thinking about you. If I would have known that at 25, I'd be light years ahead of where I am right now. I didn't give myself that permission until I was in my mid thirties, I had already chosen a career path and put a lot of things in place and built my family and got married and done those things. If I had known that at 25, my life might be completely different. Do you think that the people, this is going to be again off track, no, but do you fine. think that there are people out there that are aware of this? 
So, I mean, this is we're getting into the realm of politics now, so I yeah. do apologize. But no, you know, yeah. there, there are people out there that are aware of the fact that our brains don't fully develop until we're mid 20s, <clears throat> which means as much as they can do to control our behavior before then, it's going to play a big part in the way that we act. And then to give, are like, you allowed to have kids when we're 16 or younger, depending on where mm -hmm. you live, and 18 in the US, I think it is. Yep. And and then it's like, well, then we can get jobs and everything before we're actually capable of making decisions in the way that we want to make them, which means they've got this element of control and influence over the way we behave that, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a piece of me that thinks they're aware of all this and they're using this their advantage. What do you think? No, I, w I would agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, it's an interesting topic and I, and I, and I, would, I would agree because I think it's, you know, there, there's that, you know, natural progression we go through in brain development and the way things are. And I, I think you're right. There are a lot of societal norms and rules put in place to, you know, to keep their thumb down and control in a certain aspect. Um, but, I, but I look at it as, you know, if you can break the chain or, or break, you know, that, it, it's, it's just that, that it's, it's that thing of it doesn't matter what other people think. Like that's the hardest thing for people to do because we're trained a certain way, right? We're trained to be judged by others. We, we get grades in school. We're told to do certain things. We're reprimanded by teachers and parents. So those opinions of these other people matter because they steer our life. But then once we're set out into adulthood, we're still following those norms in our head, even though we shouldn't, because we have to live the way we want to live. But no one tells us otherwise. And that's where I think the problem becomes, or comes from, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting debate to have, isn't it? Because there are yeah. people listening that are like, oh, so I'm part of the problem. And the, and the, the truth is, is that you could very well be, but that means that you could be part of the solution as well. Like you've got exactly. this element of, you know, like if you started it, then you can stop it. You know, be very, yeah. very aware of what you tell people. Be very, very aware of like how you communicate. Be very aware of what's going on. Like mm -hmm. the amount, because uh, I, I used to be a tennis coach and yeah. when, when I would speak to the kids, it was always about, okay, well, what would you rather do? Like what? where would you want to hit the ball? Like, how would you want to put the racket? When some people would say to me, was that any good? I would go, well, did you think it was good? And yeah. there's, there's just little tweaks in the way that you do it. But the problem is, is at first, this was quite funny, by the way, funny story. At mm -hmm. first, the kids would be like, no, you tell me. Like, yeah. tell me, was it good? Coach, was that any good? Right. And it was like, well, <clears throat> For a start, it doesn't really matter because if you're if you grow to be better than me at tennis, then I've done my job. Right. So whether I think it's good <clears throat> doesn't matter because if you want to actually be good at tennis, you're gonna have to be better than me at some point. There's, yeah. there's gonna come a time when you can hit the ball a heck of a lot better than me. So yep. you've got to meet your own standards. Otherwise, you're never gonna actually want to get better because I'm gonna always tell you that it was okay. And the problem with okay is you never get amazing. But if I tell you, are you happy with it? And you go, yeah, that was all right. But maybe I could do this better. Maybe I could do that better. That's your blueprint for getting better, but it's yours versus me yeah. telling you, well, oh, maybe you should do that. But the thing is, and I have this question a lot <clears throat> with, with people that are struggling because mm -hmm. people that are struggling want to be told. 
Yeah, it's exactly people, right. The people that are in that position whereby they're suffering, they're struggling, nothing's improving, they're failing all the time, they're spending so long in the in like the grey area versus trying to dive into something. And it's like those are the people that not only want to be told, but they're also the people that need actually need to listen to themselves more than other people. That's exactly right. <clears throat> and I think that when when you think about it, like the, the the intention behind it matters a lot. Like again, I bring the tennis up again, but like, how do I know if it was good, if it was bad? Because mm-hmm. if it did what you wanted it to do, then that's enough. Like, why right. why would I want to tell you it wasn't good, even though it ticked all your boxes? Right, and, and everybody looks for that third party validation, that outside validation. You know, they, they want yeah. someone else to tell them it was good. When, when I, you know, I've been trying to do that with my kids, right? If they say, do you like, do you like this picture? I'm like, well, do you like it? You know, yeah. do you like it? Tell me why you like it. And then, you know, you, you kind of get people to, to judge themselves, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels a different type of criticism if it comes from yourself. It feels like a very different conversation if it does come from within and it's weird because we're also telling people to not believe everything that we think yep and which is i guess true but it depends on how helpful the thought is like if you go oh it wasn't quite good the lighting wasn't quite right it's like right well just change the light and the conversation goes away like it doesn't it doesn't get very complicated unless you start bringing in other people when other people start giving you different information than what you're thinking yourself that's when things start to get confusing in my mind and i think sometimes the only way to know any of this for certain is to fail absolutely that's absolutely right it kind of all circles back to that all goes full circle. It's great how things work yeah. out, isn't it, Rocco? It's yeah, great how, absolutely. How things always pan out. We're just about the right time before we start to finish. Go, oh, okay, bring up failure again. Yeah. That, was, that was a nice transition, wasn't it? That, that, was, that was amazing. This is perfect. <laughs> oh, I hate that word. Oh, I hate that word. Uh, so, yeah, when, when, when it all pans out, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, a, like a very dangerous spiral, isn't it? It's, it's something yeah. that... Like if, if you never fail, then you never know what to improve on. Therefore, you look for other people to tell you what to improve on because you've never actually acknowledged the fact that you've not done something as well as you could have. Exactly. And it's like the only way of actually improving and actually having a positive spiral is to actually listen to yourself first. And if yep. you, know, you can use other people to connect the dots if you want, but you know, the, the dots have to come from yourself, I think, before you can actually do something constructive with it. No, I completely agree. I did. I, I did think the pause was was you either thinking about it, Rocco, or like, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No, yeah, keep going. Um, one of the things that does strike me as well is this is something that you've had a lot of practice at. You've had mm-hmm. a lot of practice at the failures, at the, yep. you know, the the learning process, if you will, from those failures. Mm-hmm. Have you managed to break it down into certain steps for us? If you managed to turn around and go, actually, there is a step process that you can go through as a way of using failure and actually making the most of it. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned is you, you have, when you have the, I, I think what happens with people when it comes to failure, one or two things happen. They let it hold them back or they grow from it. And I think the majority of people let it hold them back. They look at it from the negative standpoint. I always say, take a moment and reflect on it. When you take a few days and reflect on the failure, that's where you pull 
the most lessons from that failure. But yeah. a lot of people don't take the time to do that. They let it frustrate them, stress them out, or, or stop them dead in their tracks. You know, you have to first shift your mindset to say, it's part of the process, failure's learning, and then take that step back and reflect. And when I say reflect, I say, look at every piece to that process, that thing, from the beginning to the middle through the end. You know, how did the thing start? What happened in the middle? Where, you know, you really got to break it down into every step of the way to start identifying the lessons. Because if you just look and say, I made a bad business deal. Okay, well, why was it bad? Was it the people? Was it the price? Was it the process? Was it the product? What about it was bad? What could have changed? What variable could you have introduced to give you a different result? But it's hard work to do that. That's what people don't always do. They just look at it and just get mad, angry, frustrated, and move on to the next thing. Yeah. You got to take that time in the, in the recency of it, like when it happens, to reflect. That's how you pull. That's the process I use. That's worked for me tremendously. It's an element of doing it straight afterwards as well. I mean, does that have an effect on, yeah. on the process? Does it affect the answers that you give? Because we, we all know memory is not very helpful. So yeah. how, how does the timing play into like, the ability to do this? Well, I, I, think, I think you have to do it very soon thereafter because everything's recent in your head and you, the emotion is still there. So I think, I think when you channel that emotion in the proper way, as part of the learning process, you take more out of that failure. The problem is people let the emotion eat away at them for days and then maybe think about it a few weeks later and then they miss all the lessons. When you're, when you're in the emotional state that the failure creates, but you take the moment to reflect and look at the positive learning lessons from it, coupled with the emotional state, that's the powerful technique that, that allows you to extract the information you need to grow and progress. Yeah, I feel like the, the emotion also helps with the learning as well, doesn't yeah, it? It helps absolutely. with trying to cement it in. Do you ever find that if people don't go through this, they could take the wrong thing from their experiences as well? Like they've got this like disconnect because they get all emotional and you make things mean certain things in their own head without actually questioning them and then the emotion yep. embeds it in and it's too late by then and then that's it. Absolutely. I, I, couldn't agree more. It's, it's some people just, just do it the wrong way and they let the emotion eat away at them and they, they do create that disconnect. And it's like, you know, and, and I, I've been with clients or, or with friends that have had those failures where they were disconnected. But if I look at them like, well, you, here's what I see. You could have learned from it. And then it, sometimes it takes that third party to say, yeah, well, I see this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, you know, because they weren't looking at it objectively. They just, they let the emotion overtake their brain. And it's got to be part of the process, but not the entire process. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you ever feel like this, this is a lot of push and pull, isn't it? This is a lot of like meeting in the middle. This is a lot yeah. of making sure that you do it right versus wrong, but then being pulled in the opposite direction by culture or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I think like we, we just need to feel good about failing again. We need to feel yeah. good about making mistakes, but we also need to feel good about, okay, once you've made the mistake, this is the process of making sure that you don't connect the dots in the wrong order or connect them in the wrong way. Yep. And then you actually take the right thing from your experience that you can then learn from it. And I think that 
because of your experience with, with psychology and as a lawyer and all those things, you're in a very unique position to be able to do that for yourself. And I think being able to at least show others how to yep. do it or take others through the process is something that I think you're taking full advantage of. And I just want to say, you know, you're in a unique place. And I think that, you know, it's, it's worth listening to you on this topic because of your experience and where you've come from as well. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's just a journey I've been on and I, I continue to learn more and more. And you know, if I can share and help anybody out, that's, you know, that's the whole goal in life. Of course it is. Definitely. I would, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you, mate, where can people go? So your chance to share yeah. websites or your podcast, maybe, or social media, like where'd you like to hang out most? Yeah, so you can my my website is just rockocoza r o c c o c o z z a dot com. That's my you know personal website. My speaking engagements. You can find a lot of my media on there. Um, I'm very active on Instagram. My my username there is the rockocoza. My podcast is called the uh, It's Work Podcast. It's been on a two month hiatus. So I'm going to reboot it in August. So I've taken a little break from it. So I'm going to re reboot some different types of episodes coming in. August. So I haven't had a few episodes up since I think April is when I, I stopped it for May, June, July. I'm taking a three month break, but it'll be rebooted in, uh, in August with some different type of content. So yeah, I mean, those are the places you can find me. I am on Facebook and, and Twitter, you know, and those are the same username, the Rocco Coza, but I'm most active on Instagram on social media. All right. Awesome. We've got one last question for you. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we get a very, very good answer considering what we've been talking about today is what would you want everyone to know about you that they might not know already? <laughs> That's, a good <laughs> That's a good question. Um, what, the, what I would like people to know about me that they may not know about me already. I, I, I mean, for speaking about failure, I failed more times than I can count. And a lot of people don't know that about me. It's, you know, because I don't, you know, people just assume a certain thing, but yeah. I've, I've made more mistakes and failures than probably anybody I know, but that's what keeps me going. That's what motivates me. And I love to cook and I love to read. So those are two other things about me. I appreciate you taking the time. And then I really, really hope we keep in touch. This has been fun. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I really appreciate it.